Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, kids. Thank you, Naomi. Wow. I will not turn up uh, or turn down an opportunity to be prayed for by kids. That was awesome. So, man, how, how good to be with you this morning, friends. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I've met some of you, and some of you I have not. So, uh, my name is Nick Kadoon, and I, I, as Greg said earlier, I get to, uh, to work for our district office. So, we're part of this uh, incredible denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And uh, I, I was asked, after serving 10 years in a local church in Airdrie, Alberta, asked a few years ago if I would come on the, the district staff team that gets to uh, actively partner with 110-plus uh, churches, Alliance churches across Alberta, if I would join that team, and uh, in a particular role of helping to catalyze new church plants around Alberta and Northwest Territories. And so uh, I said yes. That was a pretty cool-sounding gig. And that has landed me here, uh, being able to come and to share uh, this weekend, uh, sharing about evangelism, sharing Jesus with our neighbors and friends and family members, those who are uh, not yet in Christian faith, and um, how might we train and encourage and catalyze the church uh, to, be, to be witnesses for Jesus, that this place might be transformed, amen, to look a little bit more like heaven. Yeah, amen, cool. Worship team, thank you. Chris and team, amazing. Oh, man, that, that gratitude song, that gets me every time. Oh, my goodness. Loved it. So, awesome. Well, great to be with you. Um, and actually, I want to say one more thing. Greg, th- thank you again. Thank you for having us here yesterday, this weekend, having us in October. Uh, what, a, what a gift, what a joy. Uh, thank you for how you were stewarding this house. And you are, your, your heart uh, for these people, to be equipped in evangelism, to share the gospel, uh, to be on mission, again, to see the kingdom come. I love it. So I love you. I honor you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for giving, you know, the opportunity to, to preach this morning, for trusting me, and you have no idea what am I going to say. So there we go. Big risk, okay? Awesome. Well, as we uh, begin this morning, uh, I want to begin with uh, this thing called our National Vision Prayer. Uh, Maybe some of you know this prayer. Maybe you pray it. It's prayed across Canada uh, in many, many, many of our churches and by many of our licensed workers. But I wanted to start off praying it. I think I started off by praying it last time I was here too. I'm going to do it again. I'm a good alliance boy. So uh, friends, would you join me in praying this together? Let's do it out loud. Oh God, with all of our hearts, we long for you. Come and transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. Amen. Did you catch the last words, the last couple of lines in this prayer? Mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. Now, this might come as a shock to you, uh, but the, the church is, you know, this, uh, the, the call of the church to partner with God uh, in his work of saving and redeeming a fallen humanity in a lost world is, is very much central to who we are as the Christian and missionary alliance. Anyone surprised by me saying this? No. Okay. Cool. Good. Uh, while our denominational family, we've identified a handful of global regions uh, to focus our international mission efforts. Uh, the reality is that living as mission-focused people, 
living as, uh, as disciple makers or multipliers of disciples, doing this everywhere. It doesn't just mean, you know, way over there in distant lands or in the 1040 window, right? Doing, doing what those weird missionaries do, moving to a distant land. I'm, forgive me, I'm just teasing. I love missionaries. But surely these things matter, and we, and we have to focus our attention on those who are truly unreached. And I'm certain uh, this, was, this was Paul's sentiment in the, uh, in the church as well. Right? He says in Romans 15, 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. In other words, reaching new people, new places with the good news. This was, this was Paul's MO, his modus operandi. It's what he was given to. Similarly, when he's writing his second letter to the church in Corinth, he says these words. To, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 Starting at verse 15, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, church, she's writing to a, a local body, could be writing to you know, Beaver Lodge Alliance, but as your faith continues to grow, as you, you continue to mature in your discipleship and become less and less dependent upon Paul, he says our, 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 our hope is that your, our sphere of activity among you, it would actually expand beyond you so that we could preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Again, new people, new places. Like the Apostle Paul, friends, our, our, our denominational mission strategy has always been to preach the gospel where Christ is not yet known. That said, a number of years ago, we came to the realization that, that multiplying disciples everywhere, it includes right here at home in Canada. You see, Canada, friends, it's a mission field. Let, let me rephrase that, actually. Canada is our <laughs> mission field. And we as the church, the body of Christ, including you right here, Beaver Lodge Alliance, we have been placed here for a reason, to see the lost found, to see the broken healed up, to see those who are spiritually dead raised to new life in Christ, prisoners and captives set free in the name and power authority of Jesus, to see the kingdom come in all of its fullness and beauty and glory as it is in heaven. This is our mission. It's our calling. And so what, is it, what does it look like to be mission-focused people? What does it look like to make disciples everywhere? Let's talk about that today. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to come along with me to the uh, Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1 today, starting at verse 29. Again, Mark chapter 1, verse 29. And as you turn there, uh, let me just say this. You know, truth be told, there's a bunch of texts that we could have gone to today, missional texts that would, that would help catalyze us toward mission or show us the Father's heart around making disciples, reaching new people, new places. Texts like Matthew 28. Who, who here has heard of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, right? That quintessential mission passage. Therefore, go, says Jesus, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Right? We, we know this. This is what the, the church is called to. This is our mandate. Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends. Go, live like Jesus. Right? Tell people about Jesus. Teach them to obey and follow Jesus. And this includes everyone, everywhere. Everyone, everywhere. All the nations. Or similarly, we could have gone to, say, Genesis 12 this morning, another good missional text. You likely know this one. In Genesis 12, God, Yahweh, he calls out to Abram, and he says, Abram, go. Go from your country, your, your people, and your father's house, and go to the land that I'll show you. And all per people, they will, be, they will be blessed through you. And so Abram went. This is another great mission text. 
and it focuses on the sentness of God's people, that, that we, are, we are called and commanded to go. It also focuses how we are to be a blessing, a blessing to everyone, everywhere. And then Genesis 1, another text we could have looked at this morning, right? It's the, the creation account. And you might be thinking, why, why Genesis 1? That's interesting. You see, the first command that God ever gives humanity is this. He blesses them and he says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. It's a missional text. Man, fill the earth. Would my, would my kingdom come over all the earth as it is in heaven? Notice how mission actually comes before the fall. Isn't that interesting? Mission comes before the fall. See, mission is not simply God's response to sin. It is God's response to sin. God, God does respond to the problem of sin through his son. Right? God the Father, he, he sends the son. The son willingly comes as the first missionary. Comes to the earth. He comes to save us. That we might have our sins paid for by his perfect life and his willing sacrifice. He atones for us and he redeems us and reconciles us back to God the Father. And now through the power of the, of the Spirit, man, we get, to, we get to live unto him and we get to spend eternity with him as well. Certainly God responds missionally to the problem of sin. However, here in Genesis 1, we see that mission comes before the fall, right? So that all the creation, rule and reign, subdue the earth, fill it, that all creation would know God. That all creation would know the creator. Right? What we learn from a text like that is that the church, the church doesn't have a mission. You see, God's mission has a church. There's a, there's a fundamental difference here. God's mission has a peculiar people, a called people, a supernatural people, an empowered people who exist, again, to see his kingdom come, that everyone would know him. The church exists because we have a mission, because there is a mission. And we've been invited by God to partner with him in this great narrative of reconciling all things back to himself. Again, there, there's, there's many texts we could have gone to today, but we're going to hang out this morning in Mark chapter 1, reading a story of Jesus that, that captures so well the missional heart of God. And so if you would, let me read this text for us this morning. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 29. I'm going to read to verse 39. This is the word of the Lord for us. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. I love how Mark always uses this word immediately. Like, this is like the fast-paced gospel, right? Immediately, immediately. Immediately they told Jesus about Peter's mom, mother-in-law. And so he went to her and he took her hand and he helped her up and the fever left her. Boom, instantaneously it's gone and she begins to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was, the Son of God. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went and looked for him. When they found him, they, they explained, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. See, that's why I've come. 
So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. So here's Jesus at the very early days of his public ministry, right? And we get a, we get a snapshot of both, of both his, his growing fame and notoriety, and we get a snapshot of his missional activity. As we just read, uh, Jesus was recently invited these two sets of brothers, right? James and John, Peter and Andrew. He says, come follow me. Come, come apprentice under me as, as students. Come and learn the, the ways that I, that I live. And he ends up in the personal residence of these guys, the home of Simon, known as Peter and Andrew. And, you know, after supernaturally healing Peter's mother-in-law, uh, word quickly gets out that, that Jesus is in town. And, man, something is peculiar about this dude, right? Like, there's something, something unique and, and, and powerful, supernatural about him. And what happens? What do we see? I mean, the, the, entire, house, uh, the entire town shows up at this house. Now, now I, I had the, the, the joy of getting to stay at Nick and Amy Cheatham's house this weekend. Right now, no no healings took place that we know of. But could you imagine, Amy, just at your house? Boom! The entire town of Beaver Lodge shows up, and they're banging on your door. Like that's that's a pretty wild scene, right? And here they are. They all show up, and Jesus doesn't send them away. No, he 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 does what he does. He just begins to heal and minister. I mean, like everyone is there. They're crowding the house, and and Jesus, boom! He touches somebody. They're healed. Boom! A demon is gone. Boom! Somebody's set free. It's amazing. Like this, this electric environment, and it's, let's be honest, like we're like, we want to see that here, don't we? We want to see that kind of an environment take place and take over all of Beaver Lodge. Man, that there'd be no sickness here. That'd be pretty cool. Wow. And we don't know how late into the night that this ministry went. I would assume if the entire town is there, it's probably a pretty late night or an early morning for Jesus. And then what do we read? He gets up early while it's still dark. I do not like getting up early. Can I be honest with you? Especially while it's still dark. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, the circadian rhythm. I just, I'm supposed to wake up with the sun, right? If that's nine, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And Jesus, he gets up while it's dark, and he goes to a solitary place, and he prays. And then what happens next? The disciples wake up, and they're like, Where's Jesus? Where'd he go? They begin looking for him. He's not around, right? They surveyed the scene from the night before. Maybe people were still lingering around the house. We don't, we don't know. But they're, they were in a bit of a panic. They're like, Jesus, there, there's people who are still in need of healing and deliverance. There's people that still need a touch, a word, a whisper, or whatever. They, they still need you. And so they go off in search of him. And finally, finally they find him. And they're like, dude, where are you? What are you doing? you got to come back. Don't you know what's going on? And notice what Jesus says. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach also. Why? Why does he say that? This is why I've come. This is why I was sent. This is the heart of the Father. See, the first missional implication I want to talk about this morning I want to draw our attention to is that Jesus' heart is for everyone, everywhere, to hear the good news, for all to be given opportunity to see and to hear and to taste and to smell and to experience and encounter the good news of Jesus. In other words, it's not enough, friends, to just stay within the the confines of our church buildings, to stay within the confines of our our existing relational spheres. It's, It's not enough. 
like Jesus, we're called to reach new people, new places. This is our mission. I said earlier that Canada was a mission field, and I meant it. Arguably due to factors like globalization and secularization, pluralism, the, the, the rise of relativism. These are some of the things we just briefly touched on yesterday at, at Everyone Everywhere, our, our, our mission and evangelism training. But friends, because of these things, Canada is becoming even more and more a mission field each and every day. Today, according to the, the 2021 census, this was just released in October, the, the, the newest data on our nation. Did you know that today... Only 53% of Canadians would say that they are Christian. 53%. A little over half. That's down 14% since the last Canadian census in 2011. Who, who here, by show of hands, is between the ages of 25 and 34? I am. I'm 34. I'm, I just squeezed in. 25 and 34. For those of us in that age category, that number in the last 10 years, it dropped 20%. One in every five is no longer identifying as a follower of Jesus. In other words, Canada is becoming increasingly more and more secular, more and more irreligious. Friends, how are we going to respond to news like that? What does it stir in us when we hear those kinds of numbers? Not only is Canada home to millions of Canadians who, for whatever reason, have, have, have either you know, opted out of religion or they haven't received Jesus or chosen to follow him, or maybe, maybe in, in again, our changing society, moving from post-Christendom to perhaps pre-Christian, maybe they've not yet even been given opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. But Canada's also changing by way of immigration. You see, the nations, the nations they have and are coming to Canada. If you didn't know, between January 2021 and the end of this current calendar year, Canada's on track to welcome more than 1.23 million new permanent residents from all over the world. That's more than the population of Edmonton and kind of surrounding area that has and is coming to Canada over the span of three years. And right now, Canada is home to 165 unreached people groups. What this means is that 165 nations, people groups, language groups that were once inaccessible with the gospel because of the, the place where they, they, they exist in the world or they're from, they're now living in our cities, they're living in our, in our neighborhoods, man, maybe even just across the street or over the fence from where you call home right now. They're, they're, they're here, the nations are here, and they're, and they're waiting, man, waiting to hear the good news of Jesus, and, and they're waiting for us to, to partner with them, that they might reach the people from their language groups, that they might reach the people that God has placed on their hearts. Again, how are we going to respond to such data missionally? To paint the picture a little bit further and perhaps closer to home, did you know that between 2015 and 2020, the province of Alberta received more than 216,000 immigrants from around the world. Today, 41% of Calgarians, I live, I live, as Kyle said yesterday, in the northeast of Calgary, is very ethnically diverse. We moved there a year and a half ago to plant a church. But 41% of Calgarians, and then 37% of Edmontonians, we visible minority many of whom are foreign-born. Further, 22.4% of Alberta's population reports a mother tongue other than English or French. And it's reported that by 2036, in 13 years, that one-third of all Canadians everywhere will speak neither English nor French. That's 13 years away, friends. And then there are international students. Did you know that, that Canada boasts one of the, the, the world's most diverse international student populations? 
In 2019, we hosted more than 640,000 international students, 56% of whom come from India and China. They've got big populations. It makes sense. In 2017, 186 nations were represented through the student population here in Canada. Currently, there are 621,000 international students in our nation. And prior to the, 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 uh, the COVID-19 global pandemic, Canada was on track in 2019 to receive a million international students. That's wild. We're the third best destination. I mean, even our, even our economy is being affected by this. Who wants to, to take a guess? How much money is pumped into the Canadian economy because of international students? Throw, throw out a number. Six billion? That's a lot of money. Can I get a five? Five? No, just kidding. Um, uh, $22 billion per annum. That's a lot of, that's a lot of cheddar. International students. Like this, this is, there's so many that are here. And I mean, as we look at these, the, the, the changing demographics of our nation, friends, we're a nation of nations. We're a nation of many people groups and psychographics, and surely we have an obligation to go. Surely we would have, have an obligation to, to bring the gospel contextually to all people, everyone, everywhere, in a way that they would, they would understand and they could, they could make sense of. And then we've got two other unique people groups in Alberta, really in our nation. But Did you know that Alberta is, is home to 45 unique First Nations and eight Métis settlements? That's 53 distinct people groups, right? M many of whom have not yet been given opportunity to respond to Jesus. And so I ask, who's, who's committed to walking with indigenous peoples these days? Toward friendship, toward truth and reconciliation, toward redemption, making amends, righting the wrongs of the past. Who's committed to walking alongside of indigenous leaders as they lead indigenous communities of faith? This is part of the missional mandate of Beaver Lodge Alliance Church. And then there are the nuns. And no, I'm not meaning those little ladies in black and white costumes. My kids go to Catholic school. We do the sign of the cross at home quite often. I'm talking about the one-third of Canadian adults and the half, one-half of Canadian teens who say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Today, Alberta is one of the highest numbers of nuns in Canada. 40% of our population have just said, uh, what religion do you ascribe to? And their answer, no, thank you. None. Nothing. I believe in nothing. And statistical data would say that this number is just continuing to increase and grow year over year. Again, who's thinking about this people group? Who's committed to reaching them? Like, what, what kind of contextual strategy might the church in Canada need to adopt in order to reach or, or perhaps re-reach the people in that category? Man, like my friends, my family members who have drifted away. What nearby towns and villages, what neighborhoods are you being called to as a church and then you as an individual? We talked about this a little bit yesterday, but Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a, a work of your own. This is a gift of God. right? We've been saved from something, and it's a gift. Hallelujah. But did you know you've also, each and every one of you, has been saved to something? Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship. His one-of-a-kind masterpiece crafted, beautifully artistically made masterpiece. 
And there are good deeds, good things that God has prepared in advance for you and you alone to do. You and you alone. Who are you being called to reach? Again, the face of Canada is changing. What, what, what nearby villages or peoples need to hear good news? Good news to, to where and to whom and how might be God calling you to go and to multiply for the, for the sake of gospel advance? Again, the heart of God is that, that everyone everywhere would come to know the love and grace and truth of Jesus. That everyone everywhere would be given ample opportunity to either, either receive him or reject him with knowledge. But how can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they, how can they hear unless someone shares the gospel with them? As Paul said to the Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. This is why I have come. Second, when we think of the implications of this story, how might it shape our understanding of the mission of God, the heart of God, multiplying disciples everywhere? I want to talk about the importance of prayer. When it comes to ministry, mission, to, to evangelism, like we often think, man, there's so much work to get done. Like there's, there's so much work to get done. There's, there's only so many hours of daylight, right? We don't like to do anything in the dark. Daylight, there's only so much time. And we kind of adopt this attitude of let's get her done. Anyone, anyone here resonate with that? Just got to get out there, get her done. But notice what's going on in this text. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, he went to a solitary place, and he prayed. In the midst of perhaps one of the most busy and fruitful ministry experiences that Jesus had experienced yet in his public life, his public ministry, what's he found doing? He retreats. He gets away. He's not, he's not just like, head down, butt up, let's just get her done. He retreats. He goes away. You see, he's... He's desperate to hear the Father's voice. And Jesus is often found in a place of prayer. Why? Because prayer, prayer is the work. The work isn't the work. Prayer is the work. In Luke's gospel, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, what do we see him doing? He's driven into the wilderness where he spends 40 days praying and fasting. This is how he started his ministry. This is how Jesus sustained his ministry. Throughout his life, we often see him choosing to make prayer a priority. It's a priority. He prays alone. He models it to his disciples. He commands his disciples to pray. If you didn't know this, that all over the world today, disciple-making movements are exploding like never before. Exploding. People from every tribe and nation and language and people group are coming to Jesus for the first time at an unprecedented rate. Like we thought the book of Acts was wild. Like, friends, what's happening today is incredible. It's incredible. Where, if you were here yesterday, please don't answer, but where do you think the fastest growing church is happening right now in the world? Shout out some answers. Let's not be shy. Come on. Where do you think? China. Okay, no. Where else? No, not Korea, but good guess. What else? Iran. I, yes! The fastest growing church right now in the world is Iran. Millions of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus. Entire mosques being radically saved and transformed by the, the presence of Isa al-Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. Friends, it's happening. It's happening. It's not China. It's not Latin America. The church is exploding there too. But Iran, isn't that incredible? 
again and again. You talk to the people that are part of these movements, what's the, what's the one fundamental similarity between all of them? It's this, it's prayer. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. Prayer is at the heart of what, hap- what is happening. And, and truly, wherever Jesus is calling us to make disciples, wherever he's, wherever he's calling us to go on mission again, new places, new people, friends, the reality is this, that the starting point must be prayer. A disciple-making movement always comes after a prayer movement. See, prayer is the work. Prayer is the strategy, and prayer has to come first. If we want to reach new people, we've got to be devoted to prayer. You see, Jesus heard the Father's voice. That's why he said we've got to go to new places. And what did he do? He obeyed. Sure, sure. You think of like, man, what's going on at the house? That's amazing. I want to be part of that. But Jesus was told, he was commanded by his Father, other places, other villages, other towns, other people groups, other friends, other relational networks, that's where you need to go next. And he does it. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, Mark 1.39, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus heard the Father's voice and he was obedient. This was his missional strategy. Right? I think it's in churches we often are like, we got to get together and we got to just figure out what our strategy is, our mission and vision statement. And oftentimes, yes, we, we pray and we discern. Jesus models that for us. And when he heard the Father's voice, what did he do? He walked in obedience. And so Beaver Lodge Alliance, is it true of us today? Are we giving room for the Father to speak, to lead, and to direct us, to direct our lives as he sees fit? Are we asking the Spirit to lead us into these new missional opportunities, to share the gospel with our friends? Is he giving us, are we asking for, for eyes to see who he wants us to talk with, who he wants us to pray for? how he wants us to nudge them towards his kingdom. Are we listening to the Father's voice? And then when he speaks, are we walking in obedience? Are we doing what he's asked us to? This last year I was struck by just the humanity of Jesus. I keep reflecting on it more and more. I'm like, man, I know how busy my life is. So I'm a father. I've got three kids, 10, 9, and 6 I work full-time. I'm finishing up my master's right now. I'm in two classes. I'm like, I, I'm helping plant a church. I serve on the board. I'm serving on a, a pastoral search committee. I'm like, I can't handle more. <laughs> I can't. It's, I'm just, I'm busy. I'm like, Jesus, how, how did you do it? He only ever had 24 hours in a day, just like you and me. And yet, I don't think he was ever confused about how he was to spend his time. Why? John 5, 19. Jesus says, I only ever do what I see my Father doing. What a good philosophy to live by. That's good theology. I pray that the same would be true of me and you, that we would only ever do what we see our Father doing. And so what does your prayer activity look like these days? How are you praying? For who are you praying? Are you giving space for God to speak? Again, prayer is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. Prayer is talking to God, yes, and it's listening for his voice. To where and to whom is the Father calling you to go? And then third, this story Mark illustrates that regardless of the season we find ourselves in, friends, the church is called to advance. The church is called to go and to make multiply disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this story, Mark 1, I tend to land on the side of the disciples, right? Jesus, where are you? What are you doing, man? Get back here. 
Right? Men and women, they're, they're meeting Jesus, they're getting healed, the kingdom's advancing, and where is, where is he? Nowhere to be found. Again, I get where they're coming from. It was a season of plenty, wasn't it? And it was a season that they, that they wanted to watch and witness and be a part of, but Jesus has different metrics, doesn't he? We kind of measure things like butts, bucks, and buildings, right? The more attendance, the better we're doing. The more beautiful our building is, the better we're doing. The bigger the budgets, the better we're doing. Now, those aren't, those aren't bad things, but notice what's going on here. It's like in, in that season of plenty, yes, the church needs to advance. The gospel message needs to advance. You see, this is the nature of God's mission. We serve a God who is on the move always, wooing people to himself. He's the, he's the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He's a God in pursuit. And we as his people, we're called to be like that as well. Regardless of the season we're in, I mean, whether it's a, a season of plenty or want, a season of good time or bad, a season of sickness or health, it kind of sounds like wedding vows, doesn't it? And here is the Father. Here is God who has charged his bride, the church, to live on mission with him in relentless pursuit of the lost. Multiplying disciples everywhere, friends, all the time, in every season. That's what we're called to do, period. Period. And I know we've just come out of a strange season too, haven't we? That COVID-19 season where it's like, man, we're, we're, we're trying to be fiscally austere. We're trying to be wise and prudent. We're trying to just keep the ship afloat. Oh my goodness, even in that season, the church is called to advance in every season. And I'm not saying be stupid <laughs> or flippant or unwise we're called to be wise. We're called to be shrewd, to use discernment, to steward well the resources that God has given us. But we also cannot let circumstance or contextual factors, we can't let things like fear or, or a poverty mindset, we can't let things like, like apathy or confusion, we can't let things like the, the reality of, or the challenge of just hard work and the cost of following Jesus on mission, we can't let those things keep us from moving forward, from going to new places, from multiplying disciples, reaching people everywhere. The mandate's clear, friends, and it's compelling, isn't it? It's compelling. I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. His name's Jordan. In September 2021, in the midst of the global pandemic, in a season where you know, many, if not, churches are just trying to stay alive, Right? when people would say, this is probably the worst time to start something new or to plant a church. Jordan heard clearly, go to this neighborhood, move in, and plant a church. And so he, he did it, and he invited me and a handful of other families to come along, and we're like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. And uh, we moved into a new neighborhood in the, in the, what did Kyle say yesterday? In the northeast of Calgary. We moved into the neighborhood. And we thought, we're going to assimilate ourselves into this people, into this place. Uh, we're going to relocate there. We're going to give ourselves to the work of reconciliation. We're, we're going to give ourselves to trying to see poverty eradicated. Whatever, whatever God wants to do, whatever Jesus wants to do. Obviously, the Spirit of God is, is working long before we arrive, and He will be long after we're gone. But for this little window of time, what, what, what do we get to do, Jesus? How, do, how are you inviting us to, to partner with you? And so we moved into the neighborhood. And we're on mission there to show and share the kindness and the grace and truth of Jesus. 
And we're 18 months into this crazy journey of church planting. We've got four families who have moved in. We've got others around the way moving into the heart of this really marginalized part of our city. And we're critically involved in some of the happenings of the community. We're regularly volunteering at the local community agency. And, man, we get to serve marginalized and underprivileged kids through free basketball camp on Fridays. We've partnered with agencies like the local food bank and the Mustard Seed to help people with food security. And we've, we've built a, a kind of a fund to be able to help people with rent, rent subsidy or rent grants. We're able to show com- compassion and care and extend love of Jesus to, to women who are caught in the sex industry. The neighborhood that we live in, that's one of Calgary's, or in Canada's, last prominent places for, for prostitution to take place, open air. And so my wife and a handful of other women, they, they go on Friday nights and they walk the streets and they hand out these bags and they're representations of the love and compassion of Jesus. And they ask these women, are you ready to get out? And they offer them hope. It's beautiful. We get to prayer walk through our neighborhood, declare that the kingdom would come. People far from God are joining us in our homes to study the Bible. In every season, the church is called to advance. And we can't let things like COVID, we can't let even things like, like data and statistics keep us from going where Jesus is saying to go. You see, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will what? They will not prevail against it. He's saying in every season, in every season, the church is called to advance. You see, what's good news is that Jesus isn't nervous. Amen? He's not afraid. He's not intimidated. He's not worried. He's not confused or confounded. Rather, he's helpful. He's with us. He's true to his word. And his heart is the same as it was then. It's the same as it was at creation. It was the same as it was at the foundations of the earth before they were even laid. That God wants every single one of his kids to be part of his family. And we're invited in new people, new places, to make prayer the work, listen to the Father's voice, operate in obedience, to advance in every season. You, Beaver Lodge, we, Church of Christ in Canada, we're invited into this. We're invited in. And as we see these movements exploding around the world, might we have faith to believe that the same could be true in our nation? That millions of people come to know and to believe and to follow Jesus, to give their lives to him, that we might see a a multiplicative move of God happen in our midst. I say bring it on. Are you with me? Are you in? Awesome. Awesome. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song here. It's called For the Sake of the World. Let's sing it with all we've got. All right? Let's, 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 Let's push Let's sing it, let's believe it, let's surrender everything we have to him. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.